I want to thank Sherry and Miss April so much for sharing that wonderful message in song. It's such a great song. You know, what I like about the song, most of all, it's a very simple song, but very deep. You know, as God's people, we have so much to be thankful for. You know, we should never wait to a certain day of the year to be thankful. Really, as followers of Jesus Christ, every day of our life should be lived in thanksgiving unto the Lord. I remember a man saying one time, and I preached a title, he said, we in God's church, God's people, we need to move away from thanksgiving to thanks living. And really, that's what should characterize our lives as followers of Jesus Christ. I don't know about you, I don't know when is the last time you really stopped and just contemplated the salvation that you have been given in Jesus Christ. But when I think about the salvation that we have in Christ Jesus our Lord, there is something that wells up in my heart that just is a great sense of gratitude. I'm overwhelmed by the sense of gratitude of what Jesus Christ did for me at Calvary. I hope that our salvation never ever becomes commonplace, where we just look at salvation in a flippant manner, but that it will always hold great meaning to our lives and will cause us just to, with an outpouring of our heart, to thank our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, what He has done for us at Calvary. What a great price He paid there, not just physically, but also spiritually. And then I want to thank Melissa for that wonderful message and song. And um, I want to say her band that was up here with her, but I don't know that they are really her band. But those who are backing her up, maybe I can say that. What a beautiful song. It is well with my soul. I know that's a new rendition of an old hymn, but it is a hymn that has such depth of meaning. I don't know if you've ever heard the story about Spafford, the man who wrote it is well with my soul. He lost everything in the Chicago fire. He sent his family back to England by themselves on a ship. The ship went down. He lost all of his children except for his wife. He re received a telegram a number of days later, and in that telegram, these are the words that it wrote, all lost at sea except one. And as he journeyed across the Atlantic Ocean, he wrote that hymn, It is well with my soul. It is well with my soul. I don't know if you can say that this morning or not. I don't know all that is going on in your life. I don't know what hardships you may be facing, what turmoil, what challenging circumstances may be happening to you right now. But if you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you can shout loud and clear this morning, it is well with my soul. You know, there's no greater comfort in the world than laying my head on my pillow at night and going to sleep knowing it is well with my soul. No matter what becomes in the morning, whether I'm alive or dead, it is well 
with my soul. If you know Jesus Christ this morning, I can promise you this. It is well, or it should be very well, with your soul today. You know, Veterans Day is a special day for me beyond just my daughter. Uh, I'm actually a veteran. I served uh, in the United States Marine Corps, so it's a time where I often uh, stop and reflect on my time in the service. And I'm reminded of my time in boot camp, just all of those encouraging words and exhortations that my drill instructors offered us young men as we were journeying through those three and a half months of, I don't even remember. I've tried to block out most of that in my subconscious. I try not to think about it anymore, all of the things that they took us through. But this morning, I don't want to encourage you in that way. I want to encourage you from God's Word today. And I can't think of a better place to find encouragement and exhortation than through the Word of God. And so I want to encourage you to open your Bibles or take your device, whichever one it is that you do. Find John the third chapter and the words that we're going to read today, in my opinion, are some of the most encouraging words found in all of Scripture. Some of the most encouraging words that I think that you will see on written on any page in the Bible. I was telling them this morning, you know, it's hard for me to think in terms of opening a device to God's Word, but I told them what's most important to me is that you have God's Word in some fashion or form. Whether you have it like this, whether you have it written on your heart, or whether you have it on your phone or your tablet or whatever, what's most important to me is that you have God's Word. It doesn't change where you find it at. It doesn't change the power of God's Word. God is powerful and living and sharper than any two-edged sword. Whether you have it on a phone, a tablet, or you have it in written form like this, I want you to take it and I want you to open it to one of the great, great chapters of the Bible. Perhaps the most evangelical chapter in all of Scripture. As I was saying earlier, John chapter 3. Over the last several Sundays, we've been traveling through this great chapter, and we've been looking at this conversation that is happening between Nicodemus and Jesus Christ. And I hope more than anything else, the two truths you've gotten out of those first two sermons that I've preached is this. First, it is possible to be very, very, very religious and still not be right with God. That's true. I mean, there was no man who was more religious than Nicodemus. He was a Pharisee, and when we look at the story of Nicodemus and Jesus Christ and their conversation, it is easy to draw the conclusion there was a major spiritual problem in the life of Nicodemus. That's the reason Jesus Christ looks at him and he says to him, Nicodemus, if you want to see the kingdom of God, you must be born again. Nicodemus, if you're going to spend eternity in heaven one day, you must know me as your personal Lord and Savior. That's the basis of what Jesus Christ is saying in that first section of Scripture. He's challenging Nicodemus to look to him for the salvation that is needed so that he will be right with God. You need to understand something this morning. It doesn't matter how many times your name is on a church roll. You may be a part of a Sunday school. You may have been dunked in the water 25 times. None of those things will make you right with God. It is only trusting in Jesus Christ, His finished work on the cross, that we can be right with God. Salvation is found in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. There's no other place to find salvation except for Him. Jesus made that very clear to us when He said, 
I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You know, the neat thing about that verse of Scripture is this. If we didn't get it in the first half, Jesus Christ clarifies it in the second half. No one will see God except through me. The second truth I hope that you've gotten from this passage of Scripture or this text that we looked at last Sunday, actually, is this. It is only as a person looks up to Jesus Christ that they can be made right with God. Do you remember the words of Jesus Christ last Sunday, the words that we really focused on, what we really zoomed in on last week was verses 14 and 15. And Jesus said, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in Him may have eternal life. That's what Jesus Christ wanted Nicodemus to know more than anything else. That it is only looking up to Jesus Christ, trusting in Him that He paid the penalty for your sin at Calvary, that you can be made right with God. Now that's good news, isn't it? Aren't you excited about that this morning? That salvation is not based on our works. Can you imagine going to bed every night and having to ask yourself... The question, have I done enough today to balance out the scales? What would happen if I were to die tomorrow and, uh, I mean, were I were to die in the middle of my sleep tonight and I was to stand before Jesus Christ, have I done enough good to be accepted by God? You can't do enough good to be accepted by God. You can put that notion out of your mind. There are a lot of people that are going to spend an eternity in hell because they believe that being right with God was doing religious works. That'll never make you right with God because it doesn't address our problem. Doing good can never change us inwardly. That can only happen as a result of a miracle of God, a miracle from heaven. Well, that brings us to the third section in this conversation. I want us to continue to look at this dialogue between Nicodemus and Jesus Christ. And it begins in verse 16. It goes through verse 21 this morning. And I believe in these verses we're going to find three great truths. Three great truths in the words that Jesus Christ is going to speak, uh, speak to Nicodemus this morning. Three truths that we actually find from the beginning of the Bible to the very end of the Bible. The truths that we are going to look at this morning is probably nothing new to some of you today. They're just going to reaffirm some things in our life, some things that we need to be reminded of as followers of Jesus Christ. As I shared with you earlier, this passage of Scripture has one of the great verses in the Bible. As a matter of fact, I would say outside the verse, Jesus wept, it's the second most memorized verse in all of the Bible. Isn't that true? Now, we know we all have Jesus wept memorized, right? You know, we may not be able to remember a lot, but we can remember those two words that are found in the Gospel of John. Well, this is the other verse, and I want us to begin reading right here. It's a verse of Scripture that many of us have learned from the time we were children growing up. I want you to listen to what it is that Jesus Christ is going to say, For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, and whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. Now I want us to just pause right here because I believe in verse 16 we see that first great truth. It's actually a central truth that we find in the Word of God. It's a truth that appears on the first page of the Bible and I would tell you this, it is a truth that you can find on every page of the Bible all the way to the very end of the Bible. It's this simple truth. 
God loves you. God loves you. That is what Jesus Christ said in the opening verse of this section. He said, for God so loved the world. Now that word world there is not referring to the creation world. It's not referring to the philosophy of the world. It actually refers to the people of the world. The word there in the Greek is the word that we use in English to refer to the different people groups of the world. It's the word ethos. It's where we get our word ethnic, and it refers to all of the people groups of the world. This is the great truth of the Bible, that God loves everyone regardless. That is the great truth of God's Word. In the very beginning, When God created man, Adam and Eve, and He placed them in the garden, He created them to have a love relationship with Him. That is the truth of God's Word. The central truth of God's Word that can be found on every single page is God loves you. Now let me just say two things about the love of God. First... God loves us with a pursuing love. Never fool yourself into believing it is you who seeks after God. It is God who has pursued you. The very clear teaching of God's Word is that no man seeks after God. It is God who seeks after man. It is God's love that draws us unto Him. It is God's love that woos us into a relationship with Him. Perhaps nowhere is this clearer than First John, the fourth chapter and the tenth verse. I want you to listen to what John writes there. He says, In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that God loved us. Did you see that right there? I would encourage you to underline that in your Bible. That is so important. It is God who pursues us in His love. God's very nature is one of love. His love is a pursuing love is what we learn in Scripture. We love God because God first loved us. Now this is what that means. Our love for God is a response to His love for us. Do you see that? Did you hear what it says? Listen to that verse again. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us. Do you see that there? Isn't that so clear this morning? It is that love that draws us unto God. Now, you've all heard me say this morning, the greatest picture of love is the cross of Jesus Christ. If we want to know how much God loved us, the only thing we have to do is to look at the fact that God gave up His one and only Son for us. God loves us with a pursuing love, but God also loves us with a perfect love. Not just a pursuing love, but with a perfect love. The Bible refers to that love as an agape love. It is an unconditional sacrificial love. It is a rich and deep love. 
Perhaps nowhere is there a better description of that love than in the words of the Apostle Paul. I want you to listen to what Paul wrote about this form of love. He says, love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not It is not resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. That is how God loves you and I. It's just like that. He loves us with a perfect love. The central truth that we find throughout God's Word is this, is that God loves everyone, regardless. Now, I don't know about you, but that makes me extremely happy. Do you know why that is? Because I could tell you right now, I'm not always lovable. If you think I am, you just ask my family. They'll be glad to share with you just how unlovable I can be at times. And don't you look at me that way. Neither are you. (laughs) None of us are lovable all the time. But this is what is so great. In spite of that, God still loves us. All of our quirks, all of our mess-ups, all of our shortcomings, when we do the right thing, when we don't do the right thing, it does not change the fact that God loves us. That is the clear truth of God's Word. I love that, knowing that God loves me no matter how bad I mess up, and I have messed up bad in my life. But God loves with an unconditional, sacrificial love. That is the great truth of God's Word. Now, I want us to pause right here, and before we move on, I want to give you the key to experiencing the fullness of God's love in your life. Here it is, very simple. Trust on Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. That's it. The key to experiencing the fullness of God's love in your life is trusting on Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. When we trust on Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we come to experience and understand the richness and the depth with which God loved us. It is though the floodgates of heaven have been opened and God has poured out on our lives His love. As a matter of fact, that phrase, so love, that's exactly what it means. The phrase, so love, means to pour out on, to lavish on with something. In this case, it was God who lavished on you and I love. That is who He is. God's very nature is love. So it should not catch us by surprise this morning when Jesus Christ makes this statement, for God so loved the world. Just think about that for a moment. Contemplate that. The sovereign God of the universe. The God who spoke everything into existence loves you. It's the truth of God's Word. Number two, God desires all to be saved. 
Let's go back to this passage of Scripture, and I want you to hear what it is that uh, Jesus Christ is going to say. This is the second great truth that is found in Scripture. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world or to judge the world or pronounce them as guilty is what He's saying, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. Did you see that right there in that text? God's desire all along was that all of mankind would be saved. That is the very reason He sent Jesus Christ into the world is so that all could be saved. Peter said it this way in 2 Peter the 3rd chapter and the ninth verse, The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promises as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. I would encourage you to underline that phrase, not wishing any should perish, because that's exactly what Jesus Christ says here in verse 17 of this passage of Scripture. God's desire and the very reason He sent Jesus Christ was so that all mankind might be saved. But we need to be careful. All right? We need to be very careful. Because that does not mean that everyone will be saved. That is not what that verse means. This verse simply gives us a glimpse into the heart of God. And we will look into the heart of God. What we see is this great love for God and born out of that great love for us is this overwhelming desire for God to have a relationship with us through Jesus Christ, His Son, His Son's sacrifice at the cross. That is the desire of God's Word. But the problem is there will be some who will reject the free gift of salvation that God offers. I mean, that is the truth of God's Word. But I would tell you this, it is not God's desire that any would be lost. His desire would be all to be saved. The second grace truth that we see in this passage of Scripture is God desires all people to be saved. Now we need to be careful here that we don't take out of context the words of Jesus Christ here in verses 17 and 18. It seems as though what Jesus Christ is saying here clearly contradicts what we hear spoken about Jesus Christ in other places. In other places, it is very clear that one day Jesus Christ is going to return, and when He returns, the dead in Christ first shall rise from the grave, and then the church will be called up. That's all of those who are believers will be called up into the sky with Him. We will enter into a time of great tribulation, and then in Revelation, the 19th chapter, it says these words, that Jesus Christ is going to judge the nations of the earth, the living and the dead. But right here it says that's not the reason why God sent Jesus here. So what does it mean when Jesus Christ makes this statement that He did not come to condemn the world, to judge the world, but to offer them salvation? Isn't that what He says right here in this passage? Is Jesus Christ contradicting what we find in other places in God's Word? No. And the reason Jesus isn't contradicting, Jesus is talking about initially this is the reason why He was sent. Initially, Jesus Christ was sent to seek and to save that which was lost. Those are His very words. 
But I would tell you this. Any image that is presented to us that Jesus Christ is simply loving and Jesus Christ is not just is an incomplete image of who Jesus Christ truly is. I hear people running around hollering all the time, Jesus is love, 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 love. And Jesus is that. Please don't misunderstand me. I believe Jesus' very nature, because God, He is God, God eternal, is one of love. But I would tell you at the same time, as much as He is love, He is just, and one day He is going to judge the sins of mankind. That is the truth of Scripture. That is the truth of God's Word. We must know it's true. But I want you to understand something. God's overwhelming desire is that all people would be saved. That is overwhelming desire. Truth number three. Mankind is depraved. Mankind is depraved. John is going to say in verses 19, 20, and 21, people love that which is evil more than that which is good. And we don't like to hear that, do we? I don't know about you, but I kind of cringe when I hear those words. But can I tell you something? That is the truth of God's Word this morning. Whether we want to acknowledge it or we don't want to acknowledge it, it does not change the truth of God's Word. Listen to what Jesus Christ Himself said here. You weigh His words and you determine for yourself what it is that He is talking about. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world. This is verse 19. And the people loved darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. Did you hear that right there? Did you see that? Those are the words of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. He says the problem with mankind is a problem that has been going on down through the generations, and this is what it is. Mankind left up to their own devices loves that which is evil over that which is good any day of the week. That is the truth of God's Word. Listen to what he says in verse 20. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his work should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Now, I don't know if you noticed this when I was reading through that text. There are two words that reoccur over and over again in this text. As a matter of fact, it is a reoccurring theme throughout the Gospel of John, and it's the theme of light and darkness. Did you see that there when I was reading it? Light, darkness, come to the light, go to the darkness. You see that over and over again? As a matter of fact, John opens his gospel by telling us that the light has come into the world, referring to Jesus Christ. Jesus said in John the 8th chapter, I am the light of the world, is what Jesus Christ said. But there's a problem. Mankind naturally hates the light and loves darkness. I mean, that's the words of Jesus. Please don't be upset with me. It's the truth of Scripture. Really, if you're going to be upset with those words, you need to kind of discuss that with Jesus Christ. Isn't that true? The term darkness in the Gospel of John represents Satan, evil, the philosophy of the world. Everything 
that opposes God is darkness. So that raises a very important question we need to ask and answer this morning. Why does mankind hate the light? Why does mankind hate Jesus Christ? Isn't He the light? Isn't that what Jesus Christ has said? But here in this passage, Jesus Christ makes it very clear that in the heart of mankind is hatred for Him. Think about it for a moment. Is there any name on all of the earth that elicits more anger than the name of Jesus Christ? Is there? No. You just go around and start mentioning the name of Jesus Christ and you can see how angry people become at just simply hearing the name of Jesus Christ. The reason this is, the reason people or the reason mankind hates the light is because the closer they get to the light, Jesus Christ, the more they are exposed for who they truly are. And when they're exposed for who they truly are, they see themselves for who they truly are. They see themselves as sinners at their very heart. That is who mankind is. The simple truth found throughout the Word of God is mankind is depraved in their inward nature. That is what we learned. The Bible teaches us that mankind is not basically good with a few moral character flaws. The Bible teaches us that mankind is immoral. Now get this, wicked in their hearts apart from Jesus Christ. If you think what I'm telling you is not the truth this morning, did you have on your television this weekend and see what took place in California? That is an example of what happens when people are apart from Jesus Christ. Now I know this morning, and I was thinking about this, <laughs> this very thing in my office this morning. I said to myself, you know what? That seems pretty gloomy, doesn't it? I mean, that's some serious bad news, isn't there? As a matter of fact, when I heard that, I thought to myself, oh my goodness, Jeff, that seems almost hopeless. But can I tell you something this morning? It's not hopeless. There is hope. And here is the hope. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whosoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. If Jesus lives in you, the hope of glory is in your heart and your life this morning. Our hope is not in this world. It's not in the government of America. Our hope is in the person of Jesus Christ. And that's what's most important. That is who our hope is in today. And I can tell you what, the world does look gloomy apart from Jesus Christ. But in Jesus Christ, He gives us a great hope for tomorrow. 
Not because we deserve it. Not because we can ever earn it. He offers it to us out of His grace and His mercy. The hope of the glory of Christ is in you this morning if you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. I hope that you know Him. I hope this morning you can say, as we sang earlier, or as Melissa sang, it is well with my soul. Not because of who you are or what's going on in your life, but because of who Jesus is. Let's pray this morning. Father God, we thank You for Your love. We thank You for the truth of Your Word. And Father God, I thank You for Your Son, Jesus Christ. He is our great hope. Father, as we enter into this time of invitation, I pray, Lord, You would have Your way in each one of our lives. Lord, that You would work in Your perfect way. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen.